Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. You know what? At some point, I have got to make an adjustment on the intro to this podcast because it says Bleacher Blum. We still haven't added that S to it because growing group of fans who are watching or listening, I should say, and Tuttle has been carrying his weight around here. So it's definitely a plurality when we do this podcast. And uh, I need to fix that uh, intro. I need to make a phone call and update that a little bit because we are the Bleacher Blums podcast. I am. You are hearing the voice of Astros television broadcaster Jeff Blum. I played 14 years in the major leagues for six different teams. I've been traded. I've been released. I've been fired. I've been... Everything but suspended. <laughs> I just thought I'd bring that up right now. But uh, that's my pedigree, and I've been broadcasting for the Houston Astros for the last seven years. I think that's important to point out, considering what this podcast is going to carry. We talk a lot about sports. We talk a lot about life. My counterpart, David Tuttle, uh, has a lot of good insight into some of the realities of living with a family of three. I have uh, four kids myself, so we have a lot of daddy issues that we bring out on this podcast and bring to the fans. But uh, on the other side of the microphone from me on the West Coast is David Tuttle. He has played in the minor leagues for a great deal of time. He's been traded for some big names while in the minor leagues, went to Santa Clara University, played for Team USA in the late late 80s, early 90s. And uh, we, we have a lot of crossover as far as both being Californians. He was a NorCal guy. I was a SoCal guy. But we have a lot of uh, ancestral friendships, so to speak, as far as teammates that we've had and things like that. So just a little more of an update. I know that might be redundant for a lot of our listeners who have been coming with us on this trek through the podcast world. This is going to be episode 53, I believe. So we've done a lot uh, in the mid mid 40s. You're going to catch a lot of uh, early sign stealing talk and some of the you know banter that we had before, kind of trying to set you up for the devastation that came through the wires over this week. And we're happy to be on air. And I'm also happy to bring in my counterpart, David Tuttle, out on the West Coast. Are you are you getting as much information as quickly as we are here in Houston? I don't think so. Hello, Blummer, and thanks for the great introduction. Yes, uh, you and I are kindred spirits that we didn't know we had, and uh, the ancestral friendships and all that stuff have really uh, solidified over the past 53 podcasts. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if we're getting the same information that you are, but uh, I was really excited to kind of get on the podcast today because I haven't talked to you as a as a person or as a friend in the past week. We obviously had some texting and some things going on, and I know that we'll think about some of these things uh, the same. I think you already mentioned that you've done everything in baseball. I did everything in baseball except make the big leagues, but I was never suspended. You were never suspended, and you know we're treading on new ground. And uh, I think the difference being in the bubble of Houston versus outside the bubble is certainly the reaction, meaning, you know, I'm here uh, on the left coast and the Angels and the Dodgers uh, are making headway. Yeah, the big uh, one is the Dodgers, obviously, right. and all the vitriol they're bringing. Yep, that's right. So we're getting news. You know, I mean, I, I'm not on either side of that, but I, I, out here, it's kind of like we got robbed. This is terrible. We've never cheated. You know, whereas in Houston, it's kind of like, hey, you know, AJ basically, you know, took the bullet for everybody and nobody's really standing up. And, and, you know, I'm sure there's other, there's 
many more angles and a lot of depth to it. But the stuff out here that we're getting is a little bit of outrage, you know, at the Astros and the Red Sox and, you know, how the the well has been poisoned by these guys that have left the Astros and now gone out on their own way, whether it be Beltran or Cora. So, you know, it's certainly it's certainly uh, a topic of conversation, but I think the uh, side of the fence you're on is a little bit different. Yeah, and I think that's what's unique about this podcast. Obviously, I've got a relatively good following down here in Houston as far as being the broadcaster for the Astros, so I'm a little more available on the Astros side. And I was put in a unique position in 2017 when I was calling games for a World Series championship season. And now I'm in a very unique uh, position that I will continue to call games for a team who has been reprimanded for sign stealing and quote unquote cheating. And we've got David Tuttle on the other side. So he's been, and if you listen to a lot of past podcasts and you can go to bleacherblums.com and listen to some of the archives and you will, you will understand that David Tuttle is, is even more not con not, he, he's a little more of our baseline. He's a little more of that, uh, that tester focus group that kind of keeps me from going off the rails in, in favor of the Houston Astros. And he'll bring that other side of the coin to the conversation. So we obviously greatly appreciate that. He's very, he's very tempered. He's very measured, very thoughtful. And of course we need that in these times. And a lot of, a lot of the reaction that was going on wanted that immediate reaction, but uh, we took a couple days to take some notes and think about things. But I just wanted to get some news out of the way just real briefly and maybe just ask Tuttle how his week is going when I'm done giving you what I've got. But uh, th this week was a good week. I was out on the caravan. We had a blast. And I obviously want to let people know who were on the caravan, who saw me and came up to me. I greatly appreciate it. Jeremy P was one of those guys. We keep, we get uh, emails from him on our bleacherblums.com website, but uh, it was great to meet. And Jeremy P wasn't the only one. There were several more people who went out of their way, came up to me, shook my hand, looked me right in the eyes and said, thank you. Thank you for having the podcast. It's giving them, giving them something to do over the off season. It's really allowed them to really come into our lives because Tuttle and I are putting ourselves out there on a regular basis but I wanted to let Tuttle know that even though people don't reach you on Twitter or Instagram at real David Tuttle, that people come up to me and will go on and on for more of the time than I actually need on how great it is that I've brought David Tuttle into the world of the Houston Astros and the podcast world. So Tuttle, you're doing a great job. I wanted to pump you up a little bit before we get into this podcast and really get into some of the dirt and grime of baseball, but you're doing a great job. Fans, let me know that you're doing a great job, but how has your week gone and how does it feel to be so revered in the podcast nation? Wow. I, my arm's going to be sore from patting myself on the back, <laughs> you know, but now it's nice to know that others are doing the same. You know, obviously we've talked about this before. We're not doing this for really the fame and the notoriety. This is uh, just an extension of our, our regular conversations. And it's great to find that, uh, that there are people out there that are curious to hear about it. Like you said, it's a little bit of a window into not just the Astros, but into the thoughts and minds of guys that played professional baseball for an extended period of time and are now, you know, for lack of a better word in the real world, trying to raise families and, uh, and, you know, do it the right way. So uh, I'm excited to hear that people are mentioning my name to you as many people in my sphere mention your name to me. Uh, they love that Jeff Lum guy. They don't know that he's the uh, television broadcaster for the uh, Houston Astros. They typically know him either as a White Sox hero or I think that guy played on the Padres, right? Is that the guy? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's different circles that everybody kind of 
kind of dips their toe in with. But uh, yeah, no, it's exciting. And uh, like I said, I think this is going to be a, a podcast uh, fairly unique to uh, the Bleacher Blums uh, archive. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But uh, everything's going well out here. I'm glad to hear that you're doing well and surviving all of the things that are going on uh, in Houston. Typically, when we say, hey, how's it going in Houston? We're worried about like Katrina or uh, Harvey, Hurricane yeah, Harvey. <laughs> We've got all these kind of weather issues. And uh, and that's not the case today. Nope, it's not. It's a little bit different. And speaking of the caravan, I know that this weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, or I think it's Saturday of this weekend, that uh, the Astros Fan Fest will be at Minute Maid Park. I know that you can walk up and get tickets if you haven't already bought them online. And I just want to give everybody a heads up. This is usually a unique situation where you get to see a lot of players myself, Sparky, TK, Julia, we all get to be involved, but I'm letting you know right now that Jeff Blum will not be at Astros Fan Fest this season, and it has absolutely nothing at all to do with the situation the Astros are in right now. Uh, believe it or not, I got a better offer a long time ago. Uh, the University of California, where I went to school, has given me the opportunity to go speak at their uh, opening banquet uh, to get their baseball season kicked off. So I am truly honored to tell everybody that I will be up in Northern California at the University of California at Berkeley's baseball banquet to do a little bit of a Q&A and uh, talk to those guys to kick off their season. Obviously, that school has a lot to do with who I am and how I got here. So it's, it's a real honor to go back there and be able to do that so that's going to be my weekend um but so that is out is of that the way this weekend yeah this weekend oh, okay yeah so randy Wynn is speaking at ours so they oh, just no keep way. bringing back yeah they recycle all those guys but he it's not this weekend he it's in february so oh that's cool i'm not able to go up this year same thing i don't know if i had a better offer but i'm not able to go up this year so uh you know i gotta send randy uh good wishes or well wishes but uh yeah he's gonna do the the That's alumni cool. kickoff for the Santa Clara baseball team. So it sounds like they got the the local celebrities on on speed dial, man. They're, yeah, they're just genre, bringing you guys in. That generation of player. Yeah. Randy was great. I played against him a lot. And I actually, uh, you know, I, give, I, I don't know if I had a chance to give him a hard time, but he's the reason I had to play with Lou Pinella. He got traded for Lou Pinella. Isn't yeah. that crazy to think about? Well, I think you've given him a hard time. <laughs> There's no way that you, you know, you mentioned that you spoke with Randy at one time. How do you have a conversation with him and not bring that up? I mean, yeah, you almost <laughs> ruined my life. That's right. I have two or three Lou Pinella stories and I didn't even have to play for him. I mean, geez. <laughs> Whoa, yard sale. I almost Whoa. knocked over my microphone. I'm getting so excited. So <laughs> all, all that business out of the way, obviously the big news that has come down is with the Houston Astros, spy gate, sign gate, whatever you want to call the gate, it has happened. And I just want, I have the report actually printed out in front of me, and I'm going to bore everybody to death telling you that I'm going to go through parts of this and let you know what I think about it and what I find interesting, controversial, and my curiosities. But just so that we can get a couple of the uh, logistics out of the way, the Astros are going to lose their first and second round picks in 2020 and 2021. Their general manager suspended for a year. Their manager, A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luno, uh, suspended for a year. There was a fine of $5 million. But what's interesting about that, we'll just get this out of the way real quick, that $5 million was the, basically the year's salary that uh, uh, Jim Crane will not have to pay for uh, having those guys on staff. So that uh, is the, the monetary fine. And AJ and Jeff Luno, as we heard later in the day after the uh, suspensions were announced, 
were fired by Jim Crane. He is he's basically cleaning house. Although, if you read the report, and I'll go through this a little bit later, if you read the report, there, sh- I almost said should, but I'm not running the team. It's not my job. Um, but you know, there could be other moves within the organization because there were other people other than Jeff Luno and uh, AJ Hinch who were ultimately held responsible for the actions of others. And it's a leadership prob- problem. It's also a consequence and an understanding that if you do, if you do run a department in a in an organization or in a company, that uh, you are responsible for the actions of people underneath you, and uh, they are the ones who ultimately uh, went down with the ship, even though they didn't cause the leak, so to speak. And I'm not a poet, but that's the way things come out sometimes. But just initially, I want to get the thoughts of David Tuttle on the actual outcome and consequences doled out by major league baseball uh to get this thing going a little bit because i'm not i'm professional but i'm not professional in the sense i know how to go through these things but uh, that's where we're going to start yeah no it's always good to start at the top and read you know kind of what was handed down obviously some attorneys wrote that at some stage of this investigation um i didn't i didn't hear you mention brandon tobman or the tobman guy because he was no, you're right Uh, He's also suspended for another year. Yep. Well, he's probably not going to get another job in baseball, but that's, that's a whole nother story. And and, (laughs) and that kind of leads me to my first thoughts on it. Um, It did seem harsh. A year suspension um, doesn't seem as harsh as Jim Crane firing them. Um, And the two things that I glommed onto or, or gleaned from that were Jeff Luno's statement and AJ Hinch's statement. And I think it kind of lets you know the type of people they are and people that you'd like to work with and who you want in your foxhole. You can also tell who played. So in my assumption, I don't think Jeff Luno was a high-level baseball player. I think he's a businessman. Um, if he did, uh, then he's going to blow my theory out of the water. But but uh, but Jeff Luno apologized and said that you know he realizes that he's in charge of the organization and these are things that he needs to um, be aware of next time. And then in the next paragraph, he proceeded to say, but, you know, of course, I knew nothing about this. And I was like, you know, I, I mean, if I had known anything about it, then I would have done something. But, you know, I do accept responsibility, but I don't accept responsibility. A.J. Hinch took, in my opinion, the exact opposite approach. Um, he admitted that he knew something about it. He knew that the players were doing it. Now, he wasn't integral in that. and He wasn't uh, complicit in that. But he realizes leading this team um, once he became aware of that, that it was his job and, and a shortcoming and an oversight in his job was not to quash it and, and put it down. And he apologized to everybody about how it looked and was very contrite and understanding that it doesn't even matter how much he knew or how little he knew, that it's his responsibility and that he made an error in judgment. And that's it. He left the statement there. And I think that just shows the character of those two guys in general. And I, I, don't, I don't see any problem... Uh, I know the Astros fans were on Twitter quite a bit, but I don't see any problem with A.J. Hinch being involved in baseball again within a year. I mean, he basically said, you know, this happened on my watch. I did become aware of it. I didn't do anything about it. What an idiot I was. I mean, idiot is not the word he used. What a what a what a mistake in leadership that was. And that's a mistake that I will not make again. And, you know, I love the Astros fans. I love the opportunity I had here. And I just think that's the thing that jumped out to me is I I think a lot of people are wondering about the fallout. Obviously, Pete Rose is out there making comments and statements. Good Come on, Lord. Pete. 
Yeah, good word. But uh, I, I think to me that jumped out that, you know, AJ is somebody I'd want in the foxhole with me. Um, Jeff, I'm a little more concerned about. And uh, and I think the statement we go back to is that the buck stops here. And that's really what we saw with what was handed down. Uh, the buck stops here. It doesn't really matter how much ever anybody knew uh, in a leadership role. If they knew about it and didn't do, didn't do anything about it, um, then that's where the repercussions were. It'll be interesting to see how this bleeds out into the clubhouse. And it would be great to hear about some players saying, you know, this is something we started. Um, you know, we got a low-level guy to, you know, mention it to us and he could get us the signs and we were kind of fooling around. And, we, you know, it'd be great to hear a group of guys kind of come forward and say that. But, you know, I, I don't know where that's going to go. And that's a, that's a, I don't know, that, that's my, those are my initial thoughts on it. Yeah, I did want to kind of see what you felt the response of the players should be because that's the one group or entity that's heavily involved in this situation that we have not heard from. Uh, you know, Alex Cora has sent out a uh, has sent out a press release explaining how he felt very similar to what AJ Hinch did. Uh, but I agree with you. And and again, I've got to let everybody know I am an Astro employee. So this is a very delicate situation that I want to approach. But at the same time, I think if I don't express my opinion, I, you know, I've, then I'm complicit in trying to wipe this under the rug. This is a situation that happened. It happened in the game of baseball, a game I love. And it happened to an organization that I've obviously given 10, 12 years of my life to and has given me an opportunity to play and to broadcast and still be part of the game. So I have gotten to know Jeff Luno. And none of us are perfect human beings. I mean, we don't get that out of the way now. We've all had our issues, uh, whether it's uh, you know cheating in a class at school or or cheating on on the on the ball field or in a, in a course of a competition. But I have gotten I've gotten to know Jeff Luno. He has treated me and my family absolutely great. He's answered all my questions that I've had about analytics or why they shifted or why they did this or what move they're going to make. And he's given me more than enough information. We've had him on air and you can see the interaction. It's been fine. So it was tough for me to see somebody who did so much good get wiped out as quickly as he did with the, the indiscretion that he showed. And I understand the consequence, but at the same time, I'm not going to sit here even as, as Jeff Blum, the, the fan of baseball, and tell you that I'm, I do appreciate what Jeff Luno did for the game. I thought he brought that second wave of analytics. He was Moneyball squared, if you want to call it that. And I was questioning his, his approach to baseball, and then I saw it come to fruition. And I said, wow, this guy's on to something as far as what he's doing in the draft. I think he really revitalized the opportunity for players to get drafted and get to the big leagues and produce. He did a great job in evaluating talent. Now, once the talent got here, that's where things got a little screwy. Um, A.J. Hinch, I think it's widely known that he and I have really developed a friendship that goes all the way back uh, to before he was a manager. We had met at a couple of Christmas parties in San Diego. We established a relationship there. He, I was talking and we were communicating about, uh, he was asking me about the Astros organization before he got, he even interviewed for the job for the Houston Astros. Uh, I said it was a great place. I thought he'd be a great fit. And it just so happened he turned out to be the manager and a friendship blossomed extremely fast. And I relied on him for 
for not a lot of information, but for a lot of explanation and questions I had about managing the modern game right now. And he gave me a wealth of information and understanding on why moves are made or what the opponent manager might be thinking or why he was even thinking what he was doing. And uh, so it was kind of a, a, a back and forth. And he, he, he appreciated what we were doing on our broadcast to try and bring the game to people. And I, I agree with you in the sense that I think it's going to be a little bit easier for A.J. Hinch to move on from this because the track record is there. And go, just digging inside the report a little bit, I might as well dig this out just because it, I don't have specific orders that I want to go in. But uh, when you go in and you read some of the, the things that they said about A.J. Hinch's complicity in this, I want to bring up an, an idea or a phrase that we hear a lot of times. Actions speak louder than words. Now, in the report, it specifically says that A.J. Hinch went down underneath into that tunnel where the monitors and everything were, and he smashed not one TV, two TVs or monitors or whatever you want to call them and said, you know, he, he didn't say stop cheating, but he said, pull your head out of your ass. Let's go play some baseball. You're focusing too much on this. And I've had this happen in my clubhouses previously. I remember a specific situation in San Diego with Bruce Bochy where he would yell at two or three guys, get your get out of the get out of the goddamn, you know, friggin' video room. Get up here, cheer for your teammates. Stop worrying about your effing at bats. Let's play the team game. You're too consumed by the video. So AJ Hinch goes in there and smashes two of the monitors and what the problem said is that he specifically did not tell the players to stop using the monitor. But if actions speak louder than words, and I know that this is probably in the in the court of public opinion or in a court of appeals or whatever it is, you need actual documentation or somebody who said, AJ said to stop stealing signs. Those words weren't out there, but it's obvious that AJ wasn't uh, wasn't a part of or wanted to be a part of the sign stealing issue that was going on underneath. So I think that's where AJ took the high ground, sent out the release and said, I apologize. I made a mistake in leadership. I will learn, move forward. You can read between the lines and understand that's, that's what he's saying because he does value the, the manager's spot and role. And he also, he, and I think when you read Alex Cora's and AJ Hinch's comments, I think you understand they do value the game not just their team or their position in the game. I think they value the game and understand that they did have an impact on, on the actual integrity, which might be an overused word these days, of the game of baseball. No, it's, that's well said. And I think that's, that's the part that I actually agree with. And I think we get lost in the, you know, what were they doing and what they weren't. Because, you know, no, most people aren't the morality police. I mean, this the more we talk about this, the more it becomes like the steroid issue, right? Some guys were taking steroids and some guys weren't. Some guys knew about it. Some guys didn't. And that has that goes with scouts and leadership and management as well. Some management knew and then they didn't do anything about it. So are they complicit? I mean, this is the thing that we're kind of losing sight of. And you asked about the player's punishment. The oversight here is that... Uh, is the leadership part, but the the part that we're missing is the player's responsibility in this. I mean, the players, as we've talked about, like you said, mid-40s podcasts, so we're looking at eight, nine, almost 10 podcasts where we kind of started touching on this issue, is who's going to stop them? I mean, they're always trying to, you know, they're trying to tip pitches and they're trying to pick up pitches, like how the guy stands, how his glove is, how his hand is. I mean, 
we're always trying to gain a competitive advantage. And so, so one guy sees on the TV, like, Hey, we can get the signs. Like it, it could, it could start out very innocently. That's what I'm saying. We're, we're getting to this place where it's like AJ and Alex, were trying to undermine the integrity of the game. It started with one player going, Hey buddy, I can tell you fastball curveball on this guy. Oh, great. That'll help me. As you mentioned last, at last, last podcast, basically, you know, everybody used to throw 92, 93, 94. Now every guy that comes out of the bullpen is throwing 98, 99. So that half a second you had is now 0.3. If you can have some little indication about, you know, location or, or type of pitch, it's a, it's a great asset to have. And so, like I said, most clubhouses, as we joked about last time with, uh, you know, chewing tobacco and, you know, grab ass and, and pranks, they're not they're not like the high ground for moral uh, for moral <laughs> moral uh, aptitude, I guess. And, and, and I think we're kind of missing that part. That, that's why the players are such an integral role in this is that the players, this was kind of a player led thing. Leadership should have stopped it. Yes, leadership, if they became aware, you know, they should have done something. But the players and, and then to take that further, ha- punishing the players would be really difficult. And maybe that's why the players aren't coming out and saying anything because you know very well even when guys were stealing signs legally i played with guys that didn't want to know the signs they just wanted to kind of see ball hit ball so like do you say oh yeah we were sending the signs up to the plate but you know correa didn't want the signs he just wanted to play baseball bregman didn't want the signs but oh but uh but um you know that guy wanted the signs and so all right we're going to suspend him 10 games how about the guy hitting the garbage can when i didn't want him to hit the garbage can you know like you know, I mean, it, it becomes a very slippery slope and a difficult thing to police. And I think that's why we saw the punishments handed out to the the guys that were in charge. Because as you know, it's not that easy to start going around that clubhouse. And if these guys stick together, then maybe the consequence for them is losing a great manager and that they're going to play baseball the right way. And, and that's enough of a punishment. And then they just move forward playing the game that they've always played. So I, I don't know what your thoughts are about that. But I think it'd be really hard to police the players. And, and, and as I already said, you know, the, the clubhouse is not the moral, you know, the moral high ground to go into and say, Oh yeah, these guys, they're all ethical and they're all, you know, above board and we don't have to do anything. Yeah. And Tuttle and I can, I mean, we almost have too much or we have intimate knowledge about what he's talking about as far as the morality in the game or morality in sports, because we just saw what happens when the win at all cost uh, opportunity presents itself. It's win or nothing or win or consequences. And they chose to go for the win. They got the consequences. But at the same time, you know, having both Tuttle and I grow up in the game of baseball during the steroid era and the parallels it brings are interesting. And, you know, I don't know how we get in. I, I want to get into that discussion a little bit because it come for me in understanding the 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 similarities between both of these scandals if you want to call them that or situations is baseball is behind the curve it's amazing to me to watch the game of baseball whether it's dud selig the 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 ped commissioner or rob manfred the sign stealing commissioner these guys are behind the ball they had opportunities to get in front of this and they dropped it so ultimately, for me, even though we're seeing the repercussions of, of players making choices as innocent as they may have started, spiraling out of control into more serious in-game allegations and consequences, in, in, in the defense of Dud Selig, 
back in 1994 when steroids became prominent, the reason nobody talked about steroids was because of the strike in 1994. Guys were getting bigger, faster, stronger, throwing harder, hitting longer home runs, and fans loved it. Fans all of a sudden started to come back. And when fans come back, guess what else comes in? Money. And we didn't say anything about the players because Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Rafael Palmeiro, everybody was going for these epic numbers. Uh, you know, Roger Clemens is winning Cy Young after Cy Young against these guys. And we applauded that. We said, okay, isn't the ba game of baseball great? And then guess what happened? Money again. Contracts. All of a sudden, guys like, you know, guys who didn't do steroids were watching guys do steroids and they were getting rewarded with these massive contracts. And that's when players started to step up and go, hey, you know, that guy who's breaking an unwritten rule is now taking money off my table. So I think we should start testing for steroids now that baseball is making money and everybody wants their piece. And then in the same token, I think if Rob Manfred would have in 2017, where we have documented knowledge of the, the Yankees using a center field camera and the Boston Red Sox using an, uh, an Apple Watch on the, in the dugout, instead of saying from this point forward, he should have said, I'm going to shit hammer them. I'm going to suspend. I'm going to fine. I'm going to take away draft picks. And then from this point forward, we will not put up with it anymore. I think that would have sent a stronger message because when you just slap a team on the wrist or you slap a guy on the wrist and don't think it's a, a league spread or a league wide issue, you allow the opportunity for more damage to be done. And that's the point where we're at now. You can't go back and, and make up for the mistake. And that's why these teams are wearing it right now. Yeah, you know, that would be true leadership. I mean, these guys are supposed to be smart. I saw or listened to Faye Vincent talk about technology being in the game. And when we started replays, that's when they put the live monitors down there. Yeah, when we true. Started the and the video replay. rooms were in, right. installed in, in all of these, every single stadium. Every stadium got those video rooms. But what you do when you implement something like that, and you can't foresee, I mean, if you had a crystal ball, that'd be great. But what you do in any other business that I've been a part of, is you look at the uh, pros and the cons of that, right? And you try and predict where this is going to go in the future. And that seems like a consequence that could have been predicted, which is, hey, now these guys who spent a lot of time in the video room are right next to these live monitors. I mean, like, you know, that it's, it's only a matter of time before something like that happens. And I agree with you. Um, you know, the pun made me laugh. You said slap them on the wrist. If they slapped the Red Sox on the wrist, the Apple Watch would have fallen off. Is what I was thinking. <laughs> but, but you're right. I mean, these are things that could have been predicted. And true leadership, instead of saying, well, AJ was leading something or Jeff Luno was leading something and he didn't know anything about it, but he's still you know, eligible to be suspended because it happened under his watch. Well, yeah, the buck stops there and, you know, maybe they didn't know anything about it and they're getting punished for it. But leadership in baseball, like you said, like Rob Manfred, he he's the leader and he could have said, you know what, part of this is my responsibility because I could have done something when, you know, when the writing was on the wall. Yeah, I, I think that Rob Manfred does need to, t you know, take a couple questions on this and say you actually knew and had evidence of this happening in, you know, early mid 2017. Why didn't you stop it there? And I think that's, you know, that would have changed the course uh, of things. Uh, but going back to Jeff Luno and and inside the management of every major league team is that the first there is a direct there's direct contact between the commissioner's office to the owners. Obviously, the commissioner is on the owner's side. So any any rule, any violation, anything that has to do with baseball and your specific team, and even if it's a league-wide, 
there I guarantee you almost 100% that the league sends out an email and it will it'll, it'll go to the president of the team it'll go to the president of baseball ops uh, you know and there there's got to be 15 people within the upper ranks of an organization any organization that get an email that say these teams we're looking into the sign stealing don't do it now those don't go to the player they'll go to the manager of course and they'll have their conversations but it's it's the duty of the gm and the general manager or the gm and the manager to let that filter down to the the players and that's where some of that leadership consequence comes in also is because i i do, you can read through the report and it says emails communications were sent they understood the rules they understood there will be consequences if you're found doing this but it didn't make its way to the players so that that i don't i don't want to say it protects the players but it kind of insulates the players from actually knowing what they were doing and continuing to do it you know you hear players you know sources say because like Tuttle's point we haven't heard from a player yet in the Astros organization but they said that we knew it was wrong but we didn't feel we were being coerced to stop it you know so I mean there is responsibility within the player and that's a whole other dynamic that's going to be tough too is you know as a player what do you do if you're if you're caught up in this do you do you come out and confront it because you're basically in a lose lose situation i think within the community of houston you're going you're going to be able to survive you're going to come out and you're going to be able to ask for forgiveness and say hey look we wanted to win we made a couple of bad choices we got burned for it and we're responsible for the manager leaving we're responsible for the general manager leaving and we're responsible we're responsible for tainting our image, we're responsible for tainting our accomplishments, and fans are a part of that. And I think that they do owe them an, an apology. But I, I just, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure how you do that because once you put yourself out there in that situation outside the community of Houston, oh my gosh, man, you know as well as I do, these guys are gonna get crushed. Yeah, you know, thinking about it as you lay it out like that, it might be a players association thing. It would be kind of neat to have this weird like town hall with a group of players, um, maybe leaders from teams or something like that that were implicated. Right. So you have the Astros, the Yankees and and, you know, I mean, Mike Fires wasn't afraid to come out and say what he said and he's going to be crushed. I mean. You know, I remember when you mentioned 1994, the Reds were kind of hard line on the strike and we had a a team actually take the field and it was a bunch of guys that, you know, mm-hmm. had never made it or, you know, got brought into spring training just to kind of fill the roster because guys that ex- either expected to make the big leagues or guys that were in the big leagues were definitely not going to cross the picket line and play. And, uh, you know, I mean, Rick Reed's the one that comes to mind. He was in, in our camp and he played and, I mean, he, he ended up pitching in the big leagues with the Mets, wow. but they, you know, they still call him scab in the clubhouse. And I mean, he never, he was ineligible for all the players association, um, uh, you know, pensions and funds and all that stuff. Cause he had crossed at one point or another. So he wasn't part of the union. I don't know if we asked him today, if that would be worth it, but I think you're right. Like Mike fires is going to get crushed. Now he'll still be eligible for all his pensions. But if the Astros team like Correa and Bregman and, um, and Springer and the leaders of that team got together with, um, you know, some of the Yankees guys um, that were implicated in that and some of the Red Sox guys that were on the team with the Apple Watch. And they kind of made a statement saying, look, um, 
we were aware of what was going on. It doesn't have to be us. It doesn't have to be that. There's 25 guys in this clubhouse. We all kind of knew it was going on. And uh, we chose to look the other way. And it was a mistake. And uh, we're not going to let it happen again. And I think uh, this is a little deeper. And maybe we can talk about this later. I know we're just kind of riffing off the cuff here. But we talked about the... Uh, the morality piece to this. And I think what happens and I see it in youth sports and you can probably attest to this is I keep, you know, we just had a bunch of girls leave our extra soccer team for club soccer. And the parents are saying, this is the pathway to success. And this is that, I mean, most of these girls aren't going to play soccer beyond the next two years. And I guess morality is essential, but most parents don't teach it is my thought. So I, I've played in softball games where there's a time deadline coming up against the, uh, you know, the score is going to revert back. I don't know if you're familiar with any of this stuff and softball or whatever. And, you know, you have max innings and five run innings. And so but the, there's a clock and I'm looking at this and I'm playing eight U softball and the coach starts delaying. You know, he mm -hmm. doesn't want we have like bases loaded and we have stuff going on. So he goes out and he ties the pitcher's shoes. And then, you know, the next inning we score runs. The next inning he has his girls swinging at every pitch. Like doesn't matter if it's a striker ball because he wants to get to the next inning. I mean, I know he's playing within the rules, but you're missing the bigger point of morality. And I think when we get to this win at all costs, you brought that up earlier in the podcast. When we get to this win at all cost mentality, um, and I'm not just going to blame parents saying that they don't teach it. We lose sight as a society and maybe as a sports fan and, and a, you know, an athlete, we lose sight that winning might not be the end all be all unless you are in a professional realm. Because basically now you're saying, look, they won the World Series in 2017. You know, they got paid for that. And now that now there's some sort of, you know, kind of black cloud hovering over this. And we know how hard it is to get to that position, you especially. And, and I think. I don't know. I mean, the morality piece is big. I guess if we want, if we're going to want to fix this, maybe it starts with the grassroots approach of like teaching our kids about sportsmanship and playing the game the right way. And you and I both know I've never cheated on a test, but if I did cheat on a test and got an A on it, I didn't feel that good about it. Of course, I've never done that, but you know, if I did <laughs> do that in college or high school and yeah. I got an A that A didn't feel as good. And I mean that sincerely, it just doesn't feel right. Oh, it's unfulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is unfulfilling. And I mean, that, that is a deeper, deeper issue going all the way back. And I've used this, what's crazy. And you made me think about this, it's, but it's written down in my notes that I was taking over the last three days because it's just been a, literally a roller coaster of emotions. You know, I've been Ron Burgundy inside the uh, phone booth for a while. And then I've been on the other side where I'm just mad as hell and can't believe this is going on. So you know, embrace those emotions and try and understand them and digest them. But this, there's something that I say consistently in in the game that I broadcast for the Astros is a guy can make three errors and he gets a game winning hit. We forget about the three errors. So win, winning is the I've said this and I'll probably have to adjust it, but winning is the cure of all evil. It masks what has gone wrong because the ultimate outcome is winning and you're happy and you've done your job and your team has won. I soon have found out that winning can also be a blindfold to what you're doing in order to win. And the blindfold was on. The players took it, took it to the next level and did in-game, real-time, te technologically supported sign-stealing. I agree that's cheating. I agree that they should be reprimanded. But to your point earlier in the podcast, how do you do that? How do you actually deter a player from doing that? The only way you do that is suspensions, take money. But 
in the report, it says all players. So what are you going to do? Are you going to take away a big league team? I mean, that's physically impossible and not fair to the city. It's not fair to the fans. It's not fair to the owners. It's not fair. So you take that all away. And now getting back to that quote of winning is the cure of all evil, guess what? What the players ultimately have to do in order to save themselves, save their city, save their uniform, and save the reputation of the game, you got to go out and win, baby. And I mean, that's the one thing that's kind of lost in all this. That we keep talking about consequences, who fills this role, that role. And then you hear the, the, the words of rebuilding with Jim Crane. He's always oh, rebuilding again. He's got to get a new manager or assistant GM. <laughs> it's a little bit different than when he bought the team in, in uh, 2011, where he literally stripped down the organization and had to build it back up. He's coming into a situation where his quote unquote rebuilding is getting a general manager to run a team of all-star caliber players and now he's got a team that he gets to go out there and, and unfortunately, tongue-in-cheek, rebuild with a team that is, uh, I think, in Vegas odds. And you probably I don't know if you've seen this, total, but they're uh, estimated to win another 100 games. So you really aren't behind uh, as far as the, re the, the, the reality of rebuilding. You're just trying to put some key p pieces in place to maintain the level of winning you've got. But winning will, you know, take care of – winning and success will take care of – you know, the tainted reputation of the players, but it won't repair the tainted championship. Yeah, that was really well said. I mean, the bottom line is winning will cure them. I will take a rebuild year if I can have uh, Correa and <laughs> exactly, Altuve yeah. and Verlander, Verlander and Brady. Springer and Bregman and the list goes on and on and on. <laughs> I mean, I'll take a rebuild at that point. But but I think, yeah, I mean, I got to I got to think about it a little bit more just to kind of get back on the baseball topic. You know, an apology might not work, but apology is always a good place to start. And, and as you said, you know, you don't want to be the guy that step raises his hand and comes forward by himself. But I think a group of players from four or five teams that have been either kind of linked to this or kind of intimated to have done it would be a good start to say, look, we realize that, you know, sign stealing is a part of the game. But when you add technology to it, it was cheating. And we realize what we were doing is wrong. And, you know, I'm not admitting guilt personally, but as a group, we realize that, you know, the the uh, the ship kind of got away from us and and we're going to rein it back in and we're going to play right. But I think to your point about the winning is the cure. I mean, what better place for an athlete to be in a cocky, confident, all star type athlete to say, oh, you guys think we won it because we were getting like fastball curveball in a couple different innings. They're going to say, all right, here I go. I'm in the batting cages every day. I'm going to go train pissed. my ass off. Well, yeah, they're going to get pissed and they're going to play with a like with their hair on fire. And so that part is when we get back to the baseball of it. I mean, the Astros, the Dodgers are probably going to play with newfound like, hey, we're playing here. I mean, we're going to see some competition this year. Yankees, Red Sox, we're going to see some competition. And uh, I'm actually looking forward to that part of it because not to, not only does winning cure everything, uh, but you know, getting back on the field, we were kind of joking about the hot stove kind of creeping along, you know, now spring training can't get here fast enough, especially for Astros and Red Sox. I'm with you. And it, it, I, I love that you kind of turned it back on the game and you actually got me excited for the 2020 season, even though I am going to be broadcasting for a team that is going to be taking a lot of hate, a lot of trolling, but at the same time, you brought up some good points and you could probably, they, if, if guys are listening to this, if players are listening to this podcast, they may ask you to come down into the clubhouse and maybe give a little bit of a pep talk or that hype speech to get them going because you're right. You know, you're really going to, you're going to see 
who these guys are. And there's nothing like a a critical situation to see what guys are all about. You're going to see who's going to go out there and work the hardest, prepare the most, and try and compete the most, especially this season for the Houston Astros. But I like how you took it outside the Astros clubhouse and put it on the Yankees and put it on the Dodgers and maybe even the Boston Red Sox to an extent. And I think that's great because in the sense – you know, all of the all the Dodgers, all of the the Yankees, all they're saying is we got we got screwed. Guess what? You're, you, those teams have gotten better a little bit. The Yankees have gotten markedly better. They have Garrett Cole on their team. Now they have to go out and do it. So if if those teams go out and falter and they don't get it done, guess what? That's on you. You can't point the finger at anybody else because right now we're playing the blame game. They're the reason. This happened. It wasn't us. It was them. Guess what? Everything, everybody is accountable for their own shit right now. And if you're and if you're spewing it, get ready to take it. Because if you get to the middle of August, I don't think this is going to happen, by the way. But if you get to August and the Yankees only have 70 wins, you're going to start go, oh, maybe they weren't as good as we, as we thought they were. And that's going to bring all kinds of vitriol because – as much as the Astros are going to get for this entire season about being cheaters and tainted and not good, if they go out and win another hundred games, so, those people better come back and go, okay, you, you, you got, you got a little bit of my respect back. You guys are pretty good. But at the same time, if you're a team that said like CC Sabathia said, take away the title, you know, Okay, well, we'll take Dan Patrick nailed it in his. I don't know if you can find it on the internet. I should retweet it, but it was amazing what he said. But everybody has their skeletons in the closet. But if you go out there and say they should have been stripped and you come out this season and you don't perform and you don't make it and you don't win the title, you better be ready for those people in H-Town to come back at you and say, where, where were you on this one? We gave you an open door. We didn't, you know, we'd let you come out here and play as hard as you can or be as good as you thought you were. And you, you failed. So it's going to be kind of interesting. And the, the news today is is interesting to me, too, because the guy who started this whole uh, process is a guy named Mike Fires. And there's a couple of names. I don't know if we hold on. We'll just stay on the Mike Fires thing for right now. Sorry. So in this report, I found it interesting that Rob Manfred and the Department of Inst Investigation said, we are not going to name players. We're going to name management leadership positions. There's two names two players in 2017 that were mentioned in that one was Mike fires because he was the whistleblower. He came out and said, the Astros are cheating. And today you're hearing Jessica Mendoza bash Mike fires for coming out. And now you're starting to hear people come out and say how brave he was for coming out. And I want to talk a little bit about this because I think it's interesting in the fact that Mike fires is brave here in 2019, where I think he would have been much braver in 2017 to come out and say something against his current team that was going out there and winning. And if Fires is one of those guys that think that the title is tainted and people want the, you know, want the players to be reprimanded, how about Mike Fires show some real bravery and courage, give back the ring, give back the signing, not the signing bonus, give back the playoff bonus and lead by example if that's what he wants. If that was truly his intention to give the purity of the game a chance he would give some of that stuff back and give back his wins, give back some of the numbers he gave up. It's never going to happen. And Mike Fires did what Mike Fires did. Do you see any correlation between a Mike Fires in the sign stealing age and Jose Canseco in the PED era? Because Canseco's the guy that threw everybody under the bus 
in the PED era? Is there a correlation or am I just reaching far into the stars? No, no, no. I think there's a correlation and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to oversimplify this, but you know, the, the clubhouse is, <laughs> is a, a true, true melting pot. I mean, you have really smart guys, you have some college educated guys. Those guys aren't always the smartest either, by the way, but true. you have some really intelligent guys. You have some college guys, you have some, um, you know, uh, usually typical uh, Dominican or Venezuelan guys in the clubhouse. Some of them is English as a second language, um, young guys, old guys. I mean, this is just the true, true melting pot of what society is or can be. Uh, baseball is such a mishmash to people. Um, I would agree with you. Um, Mike Fires, I don't know about his level of intelligence. I know Jose Canseco is not the brightest guy. Uh, he was out, <laughs> out there for certain things. But just to kind of piggyback on that is it wasn't calculated. I'm sure Mike Fires was just pissed off or flying off the cuff when he actually made the statement. He goes, yeah, the Astros were cheating anyway. But as you said, like if you really believe that, you know, this is something you wanted to put a stop to, talk about leadership. That would have been something he could have done while sitting in the bullpen playing for the Houston Astros. And then to your further point about giving back the, yeah, let's give back the ring. I, I believe it's tainted. I also don't, I mean, Maybe this is the intelligence thing again. I don't believe he thinks that that championship is tainted. I don't. I mean, like most people, I don't think they, well, I guess everybody outside of Houston thinks there's some sort of uh, tainted uh, aspect to their World Series championship. I guess I don't believe that it's that easy to win the World Series. Like, oh, yeah, if we could just cheat, we'll win the World Series. And I think that's been proven, as you said. They won 100 games three years in a row. They kind of cheated towards this part of this, and then they didn't cheat that year, and they didn't cheat that year. Um, you know, they put a kibosh on it. So, I, I just don't think it's as easy as pushing a button and and doing that. So, but I definitely, I guess, to answer your question, the long way, I see a correlation between fires and Conseco, and it's not high morality and ethics that's uh, getting them to speak out. And as you said, I think, um, I don't know, the Jessica Mendoza thing is interesting as well. Like. There, if he really wanted to put a kibosh on it, he could have done it in the clubhouse with those guys saying, hey, what we're doing is not right. And then if he didn't have the heart to do it then and he came out later, he could have planned it a little better. Just like I said, Rob Manfred could have planned for the technology um, shortcomings or, a, as well. I mean, I don't think it was that thought out and that well planned. And I don't know if uh, if he's going to have a, a good time with the other 24 guys in the clubhouse up, uh, up in Oakland this year. Yeah, that will be interesting to see how that plays out and how his teammates handle it. Uh, because once spring training starts, we're all excited about it because that's when you start to have the availability from the players. Because eventually Mike Fires is going to have to be another guy that has a press conference and talks about this a little bit. Because I'm sure, much like Tuttle and I, uh, the, the media that actually covers the game on a consistent basis and has the access to these guys is going to ask him some questions. Uh, the other guy, the other player, I should say, that is named in that is Carlos Beltran. And I've got to be honest, if I'm in the players union, I'm pissed. I'm like, why and why the hell did you put this guy's name out there? He wasn't a manager. He wasn't a bench coach, first base coach, third base coach, hitting instructor. He was he was a legitimate player on the 25-man roster for the Houston Astros. So he should be enveloped into that broad immunity uh, scope that doesn't allow his name to go out there. I understand Alex Cora is a guy that got thrown under the bus big time. And everybody pointed at him, but he was a bench coach at the time. Leadership role. I get that. Administrator, if you want to go that far. But Carlos Beltran was a player that was named in that. And as I'm sitting here recording this podcast with David Tuttle, I get, I'm get i getting texts on my phone 
from people telling me, oh my gosh, Carlos Beltran has stepped down. So I'm a little ticked off at the fact, and I don't, I have no relationship with, you know, Carlos Beltran other than calling his games in 2017 and being an opponent and being pissed off that this guy was given every gift on the planet <laughs> to go out there and beat our ass on the field. I, I faced him in Puerto Rico the oh. one year I went to winter ball, and he was a young so buck good. at that point. So good. Switch hitter, <laughs> you just standing there, like, good swing. Oh, man. I mean, I agree with you. Like, I'm upset with him because he's too damn good at baseball, but I'm <laughs> exactly. not upset with him. And, and just to kind of jump on your point about it, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. I'm not big into lawsuits and suing and lawyers, but, like, he was a player on that team. He got a yeah. management job. The Mets have not been implicated in this. There's no proof that the Mets clubhouse has any sort of video technology or whatever. I mean, this is like, you know, poisoning the well, like one bad apple. Well, like you said, Alex was—the reason Alex is being punished maybe is because he was in the Astros leadership role, not because he was with the Red Sox in 2018. I mean, maybe there's a little piece of all of that that he keeps going around. But I think that, like you said, this is just kind of branching out in the wrong way. The, the well has been poisoned. And, and, and if I were him, I would be uh, thoroughly upset as well. Yeah, so now we are getting news that Carlos Beltran has stepped down as manager of the Mets before even managing a game. And I, I there's so many, there, on so many different levels, I'm upset about that. It's mostly because, you know, you talk about integrity, image of the game, and you, we almost talked about this on our last podcast, and we actually might bring it up because in the NFL, there's a minority issue in the, in the upper levels of leadership, most notably head coaches in the NFL. And then you look into baseball, and there's a similar situation as far as managers. And I thought there was a real opportunity. Alex Cora got his job. Joe Espada, who's the interim manager for the Astros right now, has been interviewing and almost gotten a couple of jobs. Uh, you know, I believe that there are opportunities and very good candidates as far as Hispanic, African-American, and minorities to go out there and manage major league teams or lead professional organizations. And Carlos Beltran getting the job in, in New York made so much sense for me in so many different ways that he was a, a phenomenal player, had great success, but he also understood what it was like playing 162 game schedule. He could help those guys manage getting through a long season and playing at a, at a championship type level. He's also bilingual. He's Latin. He brought so much to that organization, and he played there and had success with them in New York. So I thought the way that the Mets organization was going, I thought this was going to be a phenomenal fit and an incredible opportunity for an organization to turn the corner and for a guy like Carlos Beltran to get the opportunity. So that's where I'm a little heartbroken in the sense that I love seeing some of my contemporaries, obviously get opportunities in these in these management uh, positions number one because i feel like i have access to them and i can talk to them and maybe get some information and some idea about what they're doing and how things are going but at the same time it was a chance for me to cheer again because as much as i hated playing against these guys you did kind of go damn i want to watch that guy play like play like mike trout i hate that he's on the angels but i love that i get to watch him play because we're watching generational talents but I just think it's a real missed opportunity, and this is how far it spiraled out of control as far as the sign gate uh, scandal is going on. And I, it, you know, that that's where I sit on the Beltron issue. Yeah, I mean, like you said, this is news just coming out. But uh, you know how much I like uh, soft people and the uh, outrage culture. But uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, careful. You know, no, no, I'm just saying, like this outrage culture is. You know, I was hopefully thinking that we were kind of immune to it. I mean, immune's the wrong word since we saw what happened in you know basketball with the 
with the Rockets GM and, you know, making yeah. a statement about China. I mean, just nobody's immune to it. But like you said, if I were Carlos Beltran, I would have um, a beef to pick or a bone to pick with anybody that uh, that kind of pushed for his resignation or his involvement in this because as you said he was simply one of the 25 man guys in the clubhouse um during the astros run and i, I don't know i just I, you know i don't know if it's the twitter sphere or the people that are uh you know calling for his head but uh it's just it, it's just kind of it it boggles the mind it doesn't make any sense to me that he would be singled out in that regard and uh and you know, we love to overcorrect, so maybe that's just another indication that we're yeah. making this correction. We're eradicating anybody that's ever had anything to do with technology. Yeah, right. <laughs> we already know it was the players. Like, anyway, doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it, it's tough. And you know what? It, it's going to go even further than this for a guy like Carlos Beltran because we talked about the generational talent that he was. You know, Tuttle saw it playing against him in Puerto Rico in winter leagues. I saw it at the big league level, and so did everybody else on the planet who follows baseball. He put up potentially Hall of Fame numbers. So guess what? Not only does he get this managerial job taken from him that he steps down from, maybe trying to take the high road and get the attention off that situation, but in he retired in 2012 or 2017, I think. So what, 2022, 23? We're going to come up on an, a situation where Carlos Beltran's going to be on the ballot. And guess what? everybody's going to look at that and go, well, how many of those hits did he cheat on? And that that's another thing that really kind of sours it for me uh, with Carlos Beltran being named in that. You know, he's not even suspended. That's the funny part. That's a so great point, too. We didn't even yeah, talk he, about that. No. So everyone else is suspended, right? I think yeah. Bel, uh, Cora is suspended for a year. Yep. AJ suspended for a year. Uh, and Luno is suspended for a year as well as Tobman, who, in my opinion, like I said, he, he had already put his foot in his mouth, so he wasn't going to come back into baseball anyway. But Carlos Beltran is not being suspended by the by Major League Baseball for his involvement. Um, you know, I, he's just kind of tainted because he was part of that group and mm -hmm. and not really part of that group. That doesn't you know, it doesn't make sense to me on its face. I mean, unless. Unless he raised his hand and said, oh, yeah, I knew about it and I was part of it, then I, it doesn't make sense. I, I just, I don't know. It's that pressure. They talk about the New York media. Maybe that had a lot to do with it. Is it just was going to be too much to handle those questions all year long? I don't know. Maybe it was his decision, but it doesn't seem like the uh, the right thing to do. So I guess we could just continue to beat that drum. Yeah, and we, we've touched on a lot, and I know this podcast is going to run a little bit longer than normal Bleacher Blum's podcast, but uh, I've touched on a couple of key topics and notes that I've put down. I appreciate Tuttle putting up with me and actually having some pretty good thoughts on the other side of that, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit, set you up. I know that normally we go through a what'll Tuttle say, we don't have time for that, uh, you know, Blum and Blummer and things like that. But uh, I was just kind of curious on your end if, if there was any topics that I didn't hit or if you want to go back to or if there was something new that you wanted to bring into the conversation as far as the whole sign-stealing situation. And again, uh, it, you know, if you, if you fell asleep in the car and you, and you woke up, you missed out on a lot of great stuff. But we're talking about the sign-stealing epidemic in baseball being correct, overcorrected, I think is a great word that Tuttle used earlier about uh, A.J. Hinch, Jeff Luno, the, G, the manager and GM. 
of uh, the Houston Astros being suspended, and then he, I mean, eventually fired by Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros. Alex Cora has been fired from his managerial job. We just mentioned the breaking news that Carlos Beltran has stepped down from his managerial opportunity with the New York Mets before managing a game. Uh, so we're doing a little bit of news. We're doing a lot of opinion. Uh, I, I am Jeff Blum. I, I, I'm a broadcaster for the Astros, so I'm walking a delicate line, but my buddy David Tuttle out there on the left coast is doing a great job uh, on his side. But I want to throw it into your corner and let you have a little bit of uh, quote-unquote fun with this, I guess, and let me know some of your thoughts, man. Boo on the Beltran <laughs> thing. Hey, the ideas, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this podcast are those <laughs> of us and us alone, right? Yours are yours and mine are mine. Yes. They have nothing to do with your place of employment. Um, so I just saw also, I don't know if it's breaking news, but Buck Showalter is being interviewed for the Astros position. Yeah, there are a couple of names that came yeah, out, yeah. So, uh, Buck, Buck Showalter, you're going to run a tight ship. Watch out for those I guys. was going to say, you go from loose to, to, to a little bit tighter, huh? Oh, i got to yeah. be careful I, if I've if I got to be talking to him later in the month. That's all right. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll tell you that. I actually, I mean, Buck Showalter yeah, was injured the Diamondbacks when I was in big league oh, yeah. camp with the Diamondbacks. So I know him a little bit, and uh, he runs a tight ship. That's all I can say. Um so I wanted to just, since we're not going to do what will Tuttle say this week, I wanted to kind of get my uh, my back padding arm loose again you since go. you already had at the beginning. So we uh, we called LSU as a national champion after uh, the don't bet on a segment. So we did the college playoff. I got it all right, which uh, I feel lucky to have done. But I just felt like Joe Burrow, it was his year. So if you didn't bet on it, you did fairly well with uh, Tuttle's picks there. And then last week, I said you guys should parlay it all up. I said Tennessee. I don't know if they were going to win, but definitely take Tennessee plus the points. And then, although the Chiefs look like uh, oh. Houston had them, had, had to bring this up. You know what's hey. great is Bill O'Brien and the Texans are just going, "Hey, Astros, we'll hold all the beers you want us to hold, man. We got we got a tray. Put them all on here." That, that's right. Bob still going to have his job. That's right. So, but but I had I had the Chiefs, the Niners. The Titans plus the points. I didn't have them winning outright, but I thought they could do it. And I had the Packers. So look at that. If you parlayed that, folks, that would have been some don't bet it money on you as well. So I had but to. But you were all over that Titans call before it even came out, you know, in some of the publications I saw too. But I mean, I had no idea to that extent. Yeah. So, you know, everybody likes to say they saw it like, oh, I had a crystal ball. I just had a feeling. I, I kind of had bet with Baltimore all year long uh, or bet against them thinking there's just no way they can keep covering the spread. I remember when the Patriots did it for that year. It was like they were, you know, Ravens minus 13 and they, you know, win by 30. And the next week, Ravens by 15, they cut, they win by 30. The next week it was like Ravens by 20. And you're like, what? 20 against the Jets? There's no way. And they beat them by 30. And you're like, all right, I got to stop betting against the Ravens. But there is one kind of tried and true thing, hot team in the playoffs, which I knew the Titans were after beating the Patriots and having that week off. Uh, I mentioned this from personal experience with baseball, like the teams that won the second half championship or that were, you know, didn't have a lot of shuffling there at the end of the year that went into the playoffs. I mean, you know, I have a couple of championship rings, double A and uh, and it was the team that had kind of the most continuity. Go figure, even at double A, like the team that didn't have three guys go to the big leagues, your three best players go to the big leagues, are the teams that won. I mean, we won when we had the, you know a good core group of guys that stayed together and were playing good ball at the time. And I just felt like that with the Titans, um, you know, playing hot football and then having the Ravens kind of have the week off, you know, listening to the hype and saying, yeah, we're just going to do the same things we've done. You know, it was just kind of an instinct and, uh, and it paid off. 
hopefully the folks uh, took the don't bet on advice to heart. And then the last thing I was going to say is what you opened up with. It is time to get a new opening. The Bleacher Blum podcast <laughs> is a thing of the past. It is now the Bleacher Blums. And uh, we got to, you know, you said you have a guy, but we should. We should kind of fiddle with the uh, the intro and the outro and get the uh, get a new recording in there and freshen it up, especially since we're going to get so many more new listeners based on the based on the topics du jour. And as we kept saying, the hot stove wasn't hot enough. And now, folks, we can't wait to get to spring training. <laughs> Yeah, you ain't lying. Things have been mo- moving fast and furious. Don't don't walk away from that microphone, Tuttle, because as good as you did last week on your picks, do you have anything for this upcoming week? Uh, you know what's funny? I hadn't thought about it, but uh, uh, yeah, I uh, yeah, I'm gonna go. Because what do we got? Titans, Chiefs? Is it? Yeah. And so then Titans, Chiefs. I'm gonna go with the two hot teams. This is so easy. I mean, rest of America, please. I, I'm not even looking at the spreads. I'm gonna go with the Niners and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and uh, boy. I can't make a pick there in the Super Bowl. We're going to have another podcast before that, yeah, but I'm going to have to look at it. So the Niners, I, I'm not a good, you know this too. It's kind of like, oh, they beat them seven out of eight during the regular season. You know, that doesn't always, I know the Niners won like 37 to eight against the Packers at home. Um, it's going to be a different game this time, but the Niners, I, I'm a little bit of a homer here on the left coast, but the Niners have just been playing great defensive football. And I think I heard somebody say this week, like, the Vikings were not going to win that game coming in just trying to run Dalvin Cook. I mean, somebody yeah. was saying their, their game plan was just so conservative. So, you know, the one thing you can give Green Bay credit for, they know that they lost. They do have a rookie coach, but they know that how bad how badly they lost the first time. They're going to try and get creative and maybe have Aaron Rodgers do some magic, but uh, should be a closer game. But I, I just see the Niners at home winning, and I think they're uh, they're kind of a team of destiny to at least make the Super Bowl. And uh, and then going into Arrowhead, we saw even with a twenty-four nothing lead, Pat Mahomes is a really tough guy to uh, to slow down. So I guess can the Chiefs stop the Derrick Henry train? I I, I think Ooh. you got to put like ten in the box and see what can happen. But if Dude. even if it's a high-scoring game, I mean, if if Derrick Henry scores four touchdowns, it could be forty-two to twenty-eight. I mean, I just I I, I don't know. I don't know how we slow down the Chiefs, so I guess instinctually I'm just going to say Chiefs and Niners in the Super Bowl and uh, and hold your breath for my uh, Super Bowl pick. Ooh, you have any man. thoughts about it? Well, I read an article the other day that said uh, Tyrone Tyrone Matthew said that tackling Derrick Henry is like tackling you know a freight train kind of thing, and then you add the weather and the situation into it on a nice brisk afternoon or evening out there in Kansas City. That's gonna that's gonna be a daunting task to try and knock him down. But I think it's interesting, you know, the Titans will will give him four, you know, Derrick Henry four touchdowns in maybe 15 minutes of of, of playtime, whereas the Chiefs could give you four touchdowns in about two and a half minutes, man, the way they bolt down the field. I wish the Texans would have realized that Travis Kelsey had his uniform on and was on the field and maybe tried to cover him a little bit. But uh, the offense is devastating for uh, Patrick Mahomes. And uh, part of me just you know, having played against his dad and understanding, uh, you know, he he took his he took the the route of sitting on the bench behind Alex Smith, paid his dues, kind of like Alex Rogers uh, or uh, the way that uh, Rogers did in Green Bay. I, I'd like seeing those guys get paid off by winning a championship, and I think Mahomes is good enough to go out there and do it. They're an exciting team to watch, so I think it's going to be Kansas City against San Francisco. But I just love the way San Francisco plays defense. It's going to be tough for me to get uh, get hyped up against Aaron Rodgers because I love watching him play and he's a cow guy, but my God, 
The defensive line for the uh, San Francisco 49ers is incredible. And I love the the Kittle guy, the tight end. I yeah. just, I, and what's funny about him being a tight end, I love watching him block people because I think well, they, he's more aggressive blocking and destroying people than he yeah. is actually catching and making plays. Yeah, you know, Gronk was a good tight end in New England, but they have consistently said in the past year that Kittle is by far the number one all-around tight end in the NFL. He takes so much pride blocking people. He, you know, he's a very physical player. And I think what what happens is if we go back 20 or 30 podcasts or so, I think we continue to talk about how the regular season doesn't really translate into the playoffs. I, I'm still a pitching and defense guy, man. Give me a two-to-one right? ball yeah. game. Uh, I like to see that. I mean, it was fun to watch the Niners. I mean, the, the Vikings could not do anything. It wasn't it, <laughs> it was wasn't Dalvin Cook's fault. It wasn't Kirk Cousins' fault. It was almost like they just, you know, a cartoon, like running in place. They just could <laughs> not get it going. And and I think, you know, that's where the toughness and the um, war of attrition and all these things that we talk about high-level uh, professional sports. I mean, I, I just love... I love playoff sports. I've mentioned that a million times. Playoff hockey is when I start watching hockey. Playoff basketball is a lot less like threes and running around. You see like Steph Curry getting knocked down and grabbed and clawed. And like that's the way it should be. And and the badassery and the toughness shines through. And I think uh, I, I would agree that I don't know if the Chiefs are tougher than the Titans. But their offense is is going really well. And, uh, and they're playing a good cold. They're in a good cold weather um, kind of environment and playing at Arrowhead Stadium is going to be really tough for any visitor. So it'll it'll be fun to watch it play out. But uh, but yeah, I think the Niners are kind of the team to watch right now. They are, and that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I think playoffs in any sport is a lot of fun to watch. We'll obviously be tuned in for that and look for the distraction from what is happening down here in Houston. Texans are out of it. Astros and the sign-stealing situation that they're going through right now, and obviously there's reverberations throughout the league uh, of Major League Baseball that are still coming down, and it kind of makes you wonder how far it's going to get or if baseball even wants to stop it and get away from it because spring training is coming up. But I also know at the same time that uh, you know, it, you, you, when you walk into the apartment and you flick on the light, all the cockroaches scatter. That's kind of the point we're at now. The the high beams are on inside that apartment and all of the cockroaches are, scat are scattered. So I'm not sure they're going to be able to find many more people to go out there and get after or many more people that are going to be willing to go out there and speak about it. So part of me kind of hopes that this is it. Part of me also hopes the baseball season starts pretty quick because we'll be able to get back into it. But before we take off, I just want to send a little bit of a message to the Houston fans because they're the ones that are reeling right now. They're the ones that are struggling with, with this right now. And everybody's going to handle it a little bit differently, just like I am. As much as I work for the Astros, I'm still a fan of the game and I'm a fan of the Astros. But it sucks. And it's going to suck all year long. It might suck longer than a year. I have no idea. But... This whole idea of embrace the suck really doesn't qualify right now for me because it's going to suck worse than it's ever sucked because you're going to get you're going to get mean tweets. I know that uh, I've already been attached on a couple of caravan tweets where people have just gone after me, even though all I did was call games. I had no idea this was going on right in front of my eyes. So a part of me does feel a little bit um, abused in that sense where I, I, I was drinking the Kool-Aid. I bought into the fact that these guys are phenomenal players and I still believe that they're phenomenal players. But. There are there is going to be some question moving forward and we're going to move through this together. So if you're upset, be upset. If you don't give a shit, don't give a shit. 
but uh, don't let the trolls online get to you because that's their job is to go out there and piss you off and get under your skin. Come on, Jeff. All... I know you heard the trash can banging from your seat up there with TK. Like you had to have known something was going on. Come on. Well, it's actually, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly saying? right, dude. Oh, oh, they're like, you guys are cheaters. It's your culture. It's, and I'm like, dude, you know, the, the three guys I was on the caravan with weren't on the team until this year. And then I'm sitting up in the booth trying to call a game and I've got 9,000 other things going through my head. And of course I'm looking for, I'm trying to figure out how my team is cheating, but yeah, I, I, I guilty by association only goes for, so far. I'm not sure it reaches into the minor leagues or up into the booth, but you know, I, I know what I am comfortable with who I am. I know I didn't do a steroid. That's why I have no problem talking about it. I didn't cheat to the extent that these guys went out and did it. So I'm perfectly comfortable with that. And everybody I've talked to never gave me an indication that they were doing it. So, you know, you can call me names, do whatever you want, but that's on you. That's a reflection of you. If you're calling me a cheater, that's a reflection of you putting it out there. So I'll just leave it at that. But I love seeing all the blue and orange around the city. I hope it doesn't back down. But outside the city, there is going to be a lot of talk. There's going to be a lot of uh, anger, and it's all going to be directed at the Houston Astros. All I'm saying is that you know, you're going to figure out real quick if you're the fight or flight type, because there's going to be a lot coming our way. Stay strong, tune in. You're going to see good baseball. And I think Tuttle absolutely nailed it earlier. And again, I got goosebumps when he said that you cannot wait for spring training because this quote unquote should be the time that we are just going to focus on the purity of the game and what these guys can go out there and do. The Astros still have a very good team. And Tuttle, I'm telling you, man, we may have to have just a segment where you go off for about 15 minutes trying to pump these guys up and going out there and play. Because I believe what you said earlier about going out and proving yourself could be piped into the Yankee clubhouse. It could be piped into the Minnesota Twins clubhouse. And then it could be piped into the Astros clubhouse. Because that should be the focus is going out there every day and proving your worth on that field and going out and winning as many ball games as you can. Yeah, I mean, this is a place where, you know, you're going to get thick skin. This is like being a parent. And, you know, you and I talk about parenting on this podcast <laughs> yeah, a lot. True. But, you know, your kid makes a mistake. This is a great point. Yep. You got to tell him to own up to the mistake, which, you know, is kind of happening right now in the owning up stage. And then you got to recover from it. I mean, we've talked about this all the time on this podcast in terms of the lessons that we've gained from our athletic experiences uh, to this point. And you get to go speak to uh, the Berkeley baseball guys this weekend, some alumni, some uh, new players, and uh, I'm sure you're going to have a good message for them. But the bottom line is, you know, you get knocked down, you get back up again. Um, you want to raise your kids with the same thing. And, and as an Astros fan, just to second what you said, because that was a great message, you, you just got to have thick skin for the season because even if they win, say they start out the year 40 and, you know, 10, people are going to say, yeah, but you guys are cheaters. I mean, yeah, we're not cheating now. Yeah, but you were cheating. It does, like, I mean, there's just going to be no way to live it down. So to your point, and this is another, you know, just a reiteration of my goosebump point. It's these guys are ultimate competitors. They're uh, hard-nosed guys. You don't play 162 games and be successful if you're not um, ultra-competitive and, and good at your craft. And it's going to, I think, for the most of them, I don't think they're going to wilt away from it. I think they're going to bond together, and I think they're going to play harder. And as you said, that's not specifically for the Astros. I see that from, you know, for a lot of these teams that were either tainted or feel slighted. slighted. 
you know, the Dodgers is the one that jumps to mind here on the left coast. Like, you know, they won seven consecutive National League West championships and they don't have anything to show for it. And if they feel like they got screwed out of the 2017 championship and then prove it, let's get one. So yep. I think it'll go all around. So that's all I got for the day. I mean, it's a little bit longer than normal, but uh, I appreciate you, Jeff. I pre- appreciate you a lot getting on here as an Astros employee. Uh, I know the podcast is not affiliated with them, but it's, uh, you know, it's like ripping off the Band-Aid a little bit. You've got to hear a lot of stuff around the city, and you're going to have people coming up to you all year as well. Uh, maybe me, but I, I'm removed from it and coming up to you either, you know, yelling cheater or, you know, you should have known or whatever else they're going to say. And you got to kind of puff your chest up and, you know, I'm just the TV guy and, you know, had no idea what was going on and I still support the Astros and that's, uh, it's going to be a tough thing to do, but I think it'll be a worthwhile endeavor as I already mentioned. So, um, I tip my hat to you. Yep. And that's going to do it for Bleacher Blum's podcast. And I think ultimately in the end, you need to understand that failure is going to happen. Crisis is going to happen, but it's a matter of whether or not you turn it into an opportunity. And hopefully we see the opportunity go in a positive way, not only for the Astros and the players after things get ironed out with them, but mostly for the game of baseball. And I think that's what everybody's looking forward to is getting the players back on the field and figuring out who that champion is uh, after these last couple of years. But uh, Tuttle, do you want you got any parting words before we say goodbye to everybody? Because you know what we like to do at the end of every Bleacher Blums podcast. Yeah, so uh, of course, our, our shout out to first responders and and the military around the world. Um, you mentioned, I think, last time some of the books you're reading, and uh, obviously Jocko's uh, manual just came out yesterday, and I saw that he tweeted out that uh, it's number one trending number one on the bestseller list and all these different realms. But, uh, you know, I, I just, the more I listen to that podcast, I realize how fortunate we were and we are to have been involved in professional athletics and have a podcast and have a roof over our head. But, uh, you know, this week's podcast or last week's podcast, I mean, he, you know, he talks about war stories and sacrifice and things like that. And I realize that most of the military, um, ultimately will come home. Um, and they will be with their families. But uh, the things that you guys do out there uh, in terms of the sacrifice of the time and energy with your families, but also protecting us is, uh, is invaluable. And we are greatly appreciated and greatly indebted. And, uh, and that's all I've got to say for this podcast, Blummer. You absolutely nailed it, and I appreciate you doing that. And that's one thing that we absolutely will do on the end of every Bleacher Blums podcast is give, give those first responders and military our, our thanks uh, for allowing us to do what we're going to do. But uh, that's going to do it for Bleacher Blums. We appreciate you tuning in. It was an interesting podcast. There's many more to come. Make sure you tune in, subscribe, rate, review, share. And you can get at us on bleacherblums.com and get in that mailbag that we'll get back to hopefully next podcast. But we appreciate all of you tuning in. And of course, at the end of this one, we always like to remind you, get after it. But most of all, believe it. It's really just a twist.